afford to be. This is small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, your comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. And I'm Christy Stratton. Joining us as producer, as always, is Kyle Dotson. How are you doing, Kyle? Good, I'm good. Good? You're good? I'm good. We're good. Christy and I are kind of busting and, and brimming with excitement today, especially Christy, I yes. think. Yes. <laughs> because uh, sitting in with us today is uh, guitarist for the cars, Mr. Elliot Easton. Elliot, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. How's, how's everybody doing here? We're so excited to have you here. We've been preparing. We've been re-listening to I everything. Have notes. We have clips. Christy's it's got, a whole. We it, have a little it's thing. It's a whole thing. It's yeah. a whole thing. Christy, uh, Christy and I have been exchanging uh, many, many a text all week long. Yes. Uh, with uh, Christy saying that this is uh, this, she didn't know if she could do this today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I told him I said you'll get over it Yeah, That's what he told me outside I said my, my co-host is pretty excited Pretty big fan of yours And oh, he said yeah. she'll get over that pretty quick I'm very flattered <laughs> um, Before we start I just want to I would like to play something Elliot This is from uh, This is from Rockline Christy And what, what year was this? 1985 This oh, is 1985 uh-huh. uh, Young, a, dumb and full of cum Yes And a young <laughs> A very A very young listener 15 old calls mm-hmm. into Rockline yeah. to ask Elliot a question. Uh-huh. That person was Christy Stratton. Yours truly. Yes. yes. Oh, how cute. So we have uh we actually have uh <laughs> we have the phone call and uh, uh Christy at the time you didn't t- she didn't turn her radio down as you're supposed to do. Well, so I, you hear I a little bit I had in the like a transistor radio across the room with one of these cassette <laughs> yes. players while you I hear was hear your yeah, voice yeah, yeah. on yeah. the radio. Yeah. And uh and Christy's from Texas, so you can hear that little bit of t- Texas twang that she's lost <laughs> since living in Los Angeles. But let's let's hear some of this. You might have to turn this up a little bit. Christy on the line, she's listening to the zoo in Dallas. Hi Christy. So I love that you ask him that you also ask, and you want to know when his birthday is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what happened was I called. It was um, Patty Smythe was in the first half hour. And so I went ahead and started calling. And then when I got through, I didn't have a question. I'm like, oh, like I couldn't. And they said, well, why didn't you ask? Why did you didn't? I'm like, okay, great. And then they uh, put me on the air and it was very exciting. I love that you. I, I, and the birthday, by the way. Is December 18th. <laughs> 1953. <laughs> Ten years to the day after Keith Richards. Wow. There you go. He's December 18th, 43. So as long as Keith Richards is still around, you know that you'll still be around. You know what? At I least for 10 more years. It's a little bit off topic, but it's kind of the same kind of thing. We were watching all the 50th anniversary celebrations of the Beatles' mm-hmm. uh, uh, debut on the Ed Sullivan Show. Yes. And, it, you know, remember how all the all the... The girls crowded in front of the Plaza Hotel screaming and looking if one of them would look out the window or anything like that. Right. Well, one of those little girls was Meryl Streep. Uh, 
And they found her, and it looked just like Meryl Streep. It's crazy. Like Twelve or thirteen, with like a little Mary Quant bubble hat. <laughs> <laughs> Cutest thing. And there's Meryl Streep standing in front of the plaza, screaming for the Beatles. So, Elliot, speaking of the Beatles, were you like every other uh, musician that that made it famous, or ever picked up an instrument? Was was that the thing for you when you saw them on the Ed Sullivan Show? Was that the thing that clicked it for you, or were you, were you always a musical person? Well. Both are true. Okay. I, I was already playing guitar. Um, my mom is a Juilliard trained singer. Oh, wow. And so there was music in my family, and I was brought up in, a, in an atmosphere mm-hmm. of music, and she gave me that gift of music. Um, no longer with us. Hi, Mom. Um, but um, certainly seeing the Beatles that night, mm-hmm. just that was it. That after that, I c- couldn't sleep that night. I've told that story so many times, but I literally tossed and turned. I was so excited. Maybe that I thought I'd seen was seeing my future uh-huh. or whatever. I said so that's what I'm going to do, but I just I could never get to bed that night. That's I was crazy. So excited, it absolutely changed my life. Uh, any other bands back in the day besides the Beatles do that for you? Well, not to that degree. Yeah. But you know, once the once the floodgates opened with mm. those British bands, I mean, I loved them all. Yeah. Dave Clark Five, Kinks, Rolling Stones, Kinks. Zombies, animals, every one of them, you know. I mean, I was one of those kids who would watch Shindig and Hullabaloo every week and read 16 magazine because there was no serious rock journalism back right. then. You'd read Glorious Davers to find out about um, the bands and who was doing what. And, of course, Rodney Bingenheimer was in every issue. With, with, <laughs> you know, here's Rodney with Paul McCartney. And it's just kind of funny. That's know, amazing. Knowing him now. Did you see that move? The his movie. The oh sure. Oh my gosh, it was so great. Great and and funny and sad and all kinds of stuff. So you, I I know you went to Berkeley College of Music, but what I'd love to know was in high school, like what was high school like? Were you playing? Did you, you you know? I'll tell you what my routine was in high school. Every Monday, I would go sneak in my parents bedroom before I went to school and my dad always had a pocket full of change and I'd, <laughs> I'd clean them out and do that until I had like the two dollars and fifty cents to buy a new album and every week I'd buy a new album that was super carefully chosen for the guitarist on the album like it had we weren't very well off and it had to be a record that I thought I could get something from that I could learn from. Yeah. So whether it was a Mike Bloomfield record or a, you know, an, you know, Cream or whatever it was, it had to be somebody with a great guitar player that I could like learn from. And I'd come home from school every day, have a snack, uh, maybe do some homework, and then just start playing guitar along with records. Go down, have dinner, go back, play guitar with records, and go to bed. And I did that for most of my high school career. And even, I mean, I don't know where I had the awareness of this, but even to the point of sort of like discouraging girls from wanting to be my boyfriend. Okay. Because I thought anything that would like get in the, I I didn't want anything to like stop me from playing guitar as much as I wanted. I was absolutely obsessed. And even going back further towards the end of elementary school and through middle school, what we call junior high school and, and through high school, I was one of those. I was obsessed with guitars. Just, just. I mean, I still am. But uh, and didn't that prove to be challenging though? Because as a left-handed guitarist, don't didn't like didn't you have to kind of learn 
well, backwards? I, like, how does that work? It was, yeah, a, did you, it was a learning process. I, what I was going to say is I, I was one of those kids who used to write away to all the guitar companies for catalogs and brochures oh, and cool. stuff. And I'd sneak them into my history book, you know, and sit there and, <gasps> and be reading about, you know, Fender guitars. So it was kind of history then. <laughs> it just wasn't the history they were teaching I mean, in class. I, 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 just showed, I, I just showed my daughter's boyfriend yesterday. I still have my 1966 Gibson catalog. Wow. I mean, I still have it. I know every word. I, I, it's amazing I haven't worn the print off of it. <laughs> so I was completely obsessed with that stuff. Uh, so you can imagine what that meant to me later on when the cars were successful mm-hmm. and all of a sudden companies like Gibson and Fender are like either giving me guitars yes. or wanting to des- me to design guitars. If you would have told me that when I was a kid, I would have just said, you've got to be crazy. You know, I mean, it was the world. It was my world. Now, your wife, Jill, is in the, the room. I just want to ask her. So, Jill, when he's, when he's talking passionately about guitars in 2014, you just shake your head nicely and go, that's, that's nice, honey. That's great. <laughs> or are you, are you, do you get into it a little bit? Okay, that's cool. Okay, cool. The big brown truck pulls up into our house <laughs> quite, quite frequently. <laughs> and we're still tearing open cartons and going, wow. It's Christmas this? every day. Every day. Great. Every day, and I've never gotten jaded about it. That's or, cool. Oh, another guitar. You know, I mean, it I, I just still makes me so happy. I can see the look on your face that people can't see, and you're, you're excited just talking yeah, it just about it right now. makes me happy. I got a new Gretsch guitar last week, and I <laughs> haven't put it down since. How that's many great. do you have now? Oh boy, you know I get that asked that a lot, and I've never. <laughs> you'd think I would know exactly how yeah. many I have. I think it's it's down to somewhere around a hundred. Okay. Nothing okay. crazy. Nothing. One crazy. time when I lived in Massachusetts, my dad went into my basement and counted. And he said, "Did you know you have three hundred and forty-seven guitars?" I said, "No, Dad, I didn't know that, but maybe it's time to prune, you know, and get rid of some." Which I'm sure is very difficult. But for, as a dad, he was curious. He counted them all up. Yeah. And went through all the, uh, it, you know, the amount doesn't matter to me. Right. Know? It's not like I'm trying to achieve a, a goal. You just like a, them. A I just like them. I bet. Um, and uh, speaking of, uh, uh, you have, a, you're one of those guitarists with a distinctive tone. Now, I don't know any technical thing about guitars. All I know is like guys like a Brian May. When I hear Brian May, I know that's Brian May. And when I hear Elliot Easton, I know that that's you. No one has to tell me. And, and I want where does that tone come from? How did you? Uh, it comes from your heart and your soul, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and your nervous system. Mm-hmm. Like, and by that, I mean, like, like, vi- like the vibrato, you know, or how fast a person plays. Yeah. Like some people are just destined to play blindingly fast because that's how they're wired. Some people talk fast. Mm-hmm. Some people talk more slowly. And I think it's, it's, Built in, it's built into the wiring. Like, if you're going to be a shredder, or if you're going to be like, you know, someone who, like Albert King or Robbie Robertson, who may play economically, but yeah. every note really counts. Right. You know, or the difference between Miles Davis, who plays few notes, and and somebody's going, but he just plays the few right notes that yeah. just kill you. And that's always been my school. Um, I'll never be like a blindingly fast guitar player. I get around okay. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have the technique to say what I want to say. And um, I never, my joke about that is I never really wanted to play faster than I could think. <laughs> because I don't believe those people are really 
thinking about every note they're playing, right. and I am. Yeah, so so it probably comes more from like you said from from your heart when you're thinking about what you're playing. Well, yeah, and and I could practice from now till doomsday, and I'll never be like a Joe Satriani yeah. or Steve Vai. I, I, it's just it's I'm not wired for it. And and I and I like that kind of stuff. I like Eddie Van Halen. I like those guys that play fast. But if but seriously, if given the choice, I'd rather hear the kind of guitar that you play. Well, thank you. But yeah. as a player, it's not a choice. It's just that's that's my speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do believe that. I believe that's my encoded speed. Right. And that's as fast as I'm going to go. Because I've known players who have been playing for a month and already they're just racing up and down the <laughs> fingerboard. It's just naturally their nervous system. Yeah. Well, like, uh, like Bert Navarre from, uh, from The Knack was on here. And, I mean, that solo in My Sharona, I mean, I would put that up against anything that Eddie Van Halen lays down. And, and, and it's just as good to me. Yeah, maybe they should start calling him underrated instead of me for a change. <laughs> <laughs> really? well, I'm hoping after this show that you're you're going to be overrated. I'd like to be rated. Yeah, just, rated, you just want to be rated. Not underrated, just, just rated. So when you graduated from Berkeley. Yes, I, I didn't actually graduate. Oh, okay. I read somewhere that you had the opportunity to make a lot of money playing top 40 bands, but you chose to work as like a janitor, that kind of thing to make money. It's true. It wasn't a lot of money, but for me at the time, it was a lot of money. I was so broke, I was collecting food stamps. And and how old were you at this point? Ah, oh God, I'd be about 18, 18. and 19, 20, you know, and... The, are, you, are, you, are you out of the house, not living at home at 18, uh, 19? Yeah, I, I, at 17. You were out? Yeah. You, okay, Because cool. I was, you know, my birth, I was a December baby, mm-hmm. so I was always young, and, and so I graduated high school 17. Okay. And then... Flew the coop as soon as I could. <laughs> Ready to go. Basically. All right, yeah, cool. Basically, yeah. So but, how long from that to finding the guys in Captain Swing? Um, well, probably, well, I went, I got to Boston in 72. By 73, I was playing clubs, country music, all kinds of different things and working odd jobs. I did work at A&S as a, or a Lord and Taylor as a janitor. <laughs> I worked a, at this uh, hamburger place in Kenmore Square called the Fatted Calf, flipping burgers, and I hated all of that. Um, I'd much rather be playing music, even for a small amount of money. But um, Cat and Swing, probably 75, 76, so I guess I was probably bouncing around Boston for like three, four, five years mm-hmm. before I met those guys. Okay. Which... Which you obviously know your history. She, she <laughs> is. Just, she that, has an encyclopedia that, that of in her head. Yes, because Rick and Ben and Greg were in in a band before that called Richard and the Rabbits. Uh, before we formed Captain Swing, and I was not in that band. But my roommate answered an ad in the Boston Phoenix for a sound man, and we went down to a. It was a funny gig. It was at a bowling, a skating rink. And it was a Warner Brothers party for Foghat. And the entertainment hired for the night was this band, Richard and the Rabbits, who I later found out Jonathan Richmond had named. He, gave, he named him. And, uh, and I thought they were a really interesting band. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd seen a lot of bands in Boston. And this was like the first band that I saw that was playing original music that I thought you could hear on the radio. Yeah. N- uh, namely, Rick's songs. Yeah. A lot of bands playing around Boston, but, you know, they go, you know, now we're going to do an original, you know, and it was always something c- 
crummy. You know. <laughs> I love the word crummy. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, we're in in that band where Rick and um, Rick and Ben both singing too. Right, right. And so um, and those voices are distinctive. Distinctive. So that makes you makes them sound different right off the bat. Also, they might have they might have already had Bye Bye Love even. I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not exactly sure about that, but I was very impressed by the songs, and um, and felt that the guitarist in the band wasn't really the right guitarist mm-hmm. for what they were doing. He was playing like a fusiony John McLaughlin kind of style, like almost like a Mahavishnu-y kind of thing, and and it was like a pop band. And I said, you know, I said to myself, I, I could do better. I, I know what these songs need, and uh, and I got my chance that. Alan, my friend uh, who, who was going down there to be the sound man, he got the gig, and that band broke up. And then Rick and Benjamin started playing as a duo mm-hmm. in uh, Harvard Square, maybe Central Square, this place called The Idler, just a little pub. Uh, and um, Alan, who liked to play percussion, he would, he'd get all the controls set on the soundboard, and then he'd jump on stage and play congas. And he kept telling him about his friend who plays guitar and kept hawking him about me. And so eventually he wore them down. Well, (laughs) eventually I got invited to uh, go over Ben's house and play with them. Mm -hmm. So I went over there with my guitar. I was very nervous. And the first thing Ben said to me was like with his hands folded and he goes, all right, play something amazing. So naturally, I couldn't. Wow. I couldn't play anything. No. At that, you know, I completely froze up. And um, but eventually, we relaxed and we played some songs. And I guess they liked what they heard. And um, so I started bringing my guitar and sitting on a stool with them and playing. It still wasn't Cat and Swing yet, but it right. was. It was called Ocasek and Or. Did you feel like you were in the? Did you feel like you were just showing up and playing, or did you feel like I think I'm in the band? I don't know if I'm in this band yet. I think maybe yeah, I, I think am. I was kind of in it at okay. that point. You know, I mean, I think they expected me to show up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and um, and from that grew another band, and in between that time, Greg Hawks, who was not involved in the duo mm-hmm. gig, he right. went off to become one of Martin Mull's fabulous furnitures, and he played saxophone <laughs> with Martin Mull. Martin Mull. Uh, and uh, so he went away for a while and then another guy came in and we formed this band called Captain Swing which was the precursor to the Cars and it just needed some fine tuning and some personnel change but we were getting there it was getting closer Um, it wasn't concise pop music like the Mm -hmm. Cars it was more like a Steely Danish kind of thing with like a lot of soloing and like more jamming and stuff like that and we we went to Max's Kansas City in New York and we played a showcase for a lot of the big management companies at the time. There was Lieber and Krebs who had right. Aerosmith. Aerosmith there was right. Bill O'Coin who was managing Kiss and later Billy Idol. Right. And all these all these big big time guys came and saw us and the the general consensus were was that there was great potential but that we really needed to consolidate our, our sound look and image mm-hmm. and so we went back to Boston kind of with our tails between our legs and took all their comments to heart and so we knew that some people had to go we knew we had to you know dress more uniformly not in uniform not uniform right. but, but you know one guy looked like uh, he should be in the Velvet Underground and then another guy looked like he should be roadieing for the Grateful Dead <laughs> and you know it just it wasn't it wasn't a concise 
unified. You just needed to pull it together a little. Well, yeah. So everything got tightened up, and we got David Robinson in the band, and Greg came back, and and then that was the cars. Who was at the forefront of deciding what the style might be? Was it a collective? Well, at the forefront, I'd have to say Rick because he was writing the songs, Mm -hmm. and the songs usually dictate where the music's going. Right. You know, as a guitarist, I always uh, considered it my my role or my duty or my honor or whatever to uh, to frame the song. Mm-hmm. You know, I always have been one of those guitarists that just tries to play for the song. I'm not like trying to show off right. or, or or anything like that. I mean, I get my spots to shine in the music, but um, my job was to and Greg who I give equal credit for all the hooks and all the parts mm-hmm. and all, all the counterpoint and a lot of things that were in the music that, you know, we were given demos that were very skeletal, just an acoustic guitar with a drum box yeah, and had to think about it and go, well, where do we want to take this? And that's the genesis from being a great song to being a record, yeah, which it, they're not the same thing. You know, in, in many ways, a great song is a great song, but then you have to make a great record out of it, and they often evolved quite a bit. Here's a, I have a, because I don't know anything about songwriting, because I'm not, I love music, but I'm not a musical guy. Um, no, when never, you're, never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> when you're given a, 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 a demo that you said is skeletal, and then you and the other band members are adding to that and making a fully formed song, why not get a songwriting credit on that song? How does that, I mean, is this, I know here. Well, that's a can of worms. Okay, okay. <laughs> because I, you know, whenever I hear, you know. You know what? Here's what I'll say to you. On okay. That, is different bands do it differently. Right. Some bands share all that. Mm-hmm. Some bands don't. That, you know, whoever wrote the song, they wrote the song. Yeah. They get the publishing. And, uh. For better or worse, you know. Yeah. That's well, I only jumped in there because if you would have said we were given a fully formed demo, and we and and, and we and just had to learn, learn we had to it. learn yeah. it. I would have been like, oh, okay. No. But since you use those specific words, I was like, okay, then I can. No, ask and the I agree with you. I, yeah. I I believe that there's there's some compositional mm-hmm. process going on. Yeah, absolutely. In in what what we did in in uh, creating a musical soundscape for those songs, right that there is there is some composing involved. And I know I always felt like my solos were little mini compositions mm-hmm. that I would actually write, you know, and make sure that they were part of the song and that they led you back to the vocal and stuff. But um as far as being credited or in any on any level <laughs> <laughs> Well okay. I, whatever. Okay. We should uh we should hear some music. Let's well, hear something. What okay. do you want to hear, Christy? Well, I, uh, can we just touch really quickly sure. on, I know that you guys played, and then there was two record companies that wanted you, and Electra won out. Yes. Roy Thomas Baker, maybe tell us a little bit about how that, and then we'll get into playing some okay. music. Cool. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Well, that was, that, was, um, that was an interesting thing, that, that period. Um, in one night, we, we, we met with both, Clive Davis and his assistant on one one side of town in Boston, and then we went across the river to Cambridge, where two guys from uh, Electra were at the Sonesta in Cambridge, and uh, so you know we had dinner with Clive and then drinks with Electra, 
And um, you guys must have been like flying so high at that point. It was very exciting times. I mean, I mean, at that point, you're probably thinking, this has to happen now. What if this doesn't happen? We have these two big meetings. Oh, it's going to happen. But I mean, I was 22 years old. (laughs) Right. Very exciting to me. Yeah. 22. I'd never really been anywhere. I grew up in Long Island. I'd never been further south than D.C. Mm -hmm. for a protest march (laughs) (laughs) working for Gene McCarthy (laughs) and the Vietnam War. Um, in any way, so, uh, we had, we had dinner with Clive and then drinks with those guys. We went over to their hotel suite and all things being equal, I think, um, it would have been six of one half dozen of the other. We did feel that Arista was kind of a new label mm-hmm. and that the only rock bands they had at that time were like Patti Smith and the Outlaws, if I remember correctly. And were the Kinks on, the Kinks might've been on there at that I've, were they on yet? I think. I think they were. I think Sleepwalker this is, this and Misfits. Seventy six, seventy seven. I think they so, might have come in in seventy seven, seventy eight. So okay. But compared to right. Electra, which had a huge history and tradition yeah. of great music, and then it all came down to. I remember we were sitting in David's apartment with both contracts on his coffee table. Uh, it was my apartment too, roommates, and um, and there was one point, one little point that. Uh, that uh, Clive wouldn't concede to, and and Electra would, and our manager su- suggested that it would be better to go with the Warner label. At that time, what was that point? I don't remember. What if it was? What if it was? Clive didn't want Elliot. I don't know. If <laughs> I don't even know if I would have understood it if it was explained to me. I'm just a guitar player, right? Um, so, uh, oh, and I, I wanted to ask, so uh, you guys are clicking musically. You guys were all obviously clicking as, uh, as friends at that point. You guys became fast friends in the band. Yeah. Well, fast friends. I mean, <laughs> people are people yeah. and we were a very diverse group of people mm-hmm. with a big age spread between us. Nine years. Who was the, who was the oldest? Rick. And who's the youngest? Me. Oh, okay. And, uh, that's why it's so easy for me to say, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just the simple truth. Okay. And, and so, you know, I was just like a young, crazy kid. Rick had a wife and a baby. Wow. You know, yeah. That different is different. People in the band were in very different stages of life. And uh, we all liked each other a lot. And we developed, as good bands do, our own humor and language and mm-hmm. everything like that. But we were, we're not one of those bands that was like, a, you know, a bunch of friends from high school that have always been friends together and all had the same record collection and said, hey, let's form a band. It was Boston. People moved there from all over the country, yeah. and uh, we were all very different, um, but loved each other cool. and, and found you know our common ground. But each of us brought something a little different to the band, and you know you can hear what the contributions are, and and uh, and I think it's those differences that made the cars sound the way they are. It's just the combination of those five people playing together. Yeah, you know, sometimes that creative process could be painful because, you know, we didn't all each like each other's references or, or influences right. necessarily. Like, you know, I might not sit down and put on, uh, you know, a record that, say, Rick might be one of his favorite records. Right. But he was bringing that influence to the band. And, just, and the same goes for me. You know, those guys might never want to listen to something that I might consider the greatest thing in the world but I was still bringing that influence to the band. And so there was a lot of push and pull and, you know, a lot of that birthing kind of torturous process. Uh, 
but it 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 made for a unique sound. And it um and, and it and no band does sound like the Cars. I mean, there's a lot of bands that have a sound, and you guys definitely nothing nothing sounds like that. You and, knew on the radio, yes. Even if no matter what album was, you knew right. that's the Cars. Like mm-hmm. you could tell immediately. Well, I think we should play something. What my, do you want to play? That was my one goal in life. <laughs> Even as a, as a young kid, I said, I want to be in a band that you can tell who it is on the radio after just a couple of notes. Well, I literally said that when I was a kid. It is so and true. And that was my goal. Well, well you this, did it. I, the song that I uh, picked, um, or one of the songs, uh, this was the B-side to Best Friends Girl. Because I thought, let's, let's play something a little bit deeper. Although, there's nothing deep on that first album. And yeah. they're all... Um, yeah, one of the best debut albums ever released. Oh, ever. If they weren't hit singles, they were radio hits. Yeah, they oh, were yes, FM hits. for sure. The whole you, record yeah. got played. And just before you played, an interesting, sure. a funny little interesting note about that. If you notice on the record, a lot of the songs are cross-faded. Like, uh, All Mixed Up goes into Moving in Stereo, mm-hmm. yes. stuff like that. And we found... Like Roy Thomas Baker did it for artistic reasons. I mean, like Sergeant Pepper, the songs are right up against each other, and it makes for like a total listening experience. But the but the practical result was that DJs would leave the needle on for a second song because they couldn't get it off in time. Well, if it wasn't the single, if they were playing it off the album, all those things go moving in stereo stuff. They go ah, the heck with it. We'll let that one play too. And so he I, he did that with Journey too. There's uh, on Infinity and on Evolution, and then we were Rocky, Rocky We Are yeah. the Champions. I mean, yeah. that must have been like a thing he liked to do. It's so. funny because the DJs would, would just play a set then. Yes, because they couldn't get to the needle. It, and that w- it was way before Two for Tuesday existed. Yeah, and it would, <laughs> it would sound bad because the, there's no there was no silence. Right, it would just to go lift the needle to lift it up. Yeah. Well, this is a little bit of Don't You Stop. Hmm. Who's that guy playing? He's good. He's not bad. That's the only one take. It was the only first take of solo on the first album. It's the only one that I just kind of just ripped right off the top of my head. And they were like, whoa, wow. that's All a keeper. All the rest were composed and thought about. Um, and you did it in a day and a half, if I'm, with, my with research dis- is With correct. dysentery. Oh. I was like. <laughs> what? It, was, it, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> I was, you know, green around the gills. I'd eaten something bad. It was in England. You know, God knows what the hell. I, <laughs> uh, I was chills and just sick. And I did all the guitar parts. I really did in a day and a half. Now, sometimes when people are, are sick at, at a moment in their life, uh, when when something recalls that moment, they feel feel ill. I hope that when you were on tour with this first album, you didn't feel no. sick every night of the week. No, I didn't think about it. You know, I mean, the whole record only took twelve days to make, so it, you know, it, it was all pretty amazing. But that's that's a fact about how how fast the guitar parts went down and. It, it's nothing like some amazing feat. It's just that mm-hmm. the first album was our club set. Yeah. And we pretty you, much, everybody knew what, what they were doing on the songs and what they were going to play because we'd been doing it in clubs for close to a year. So and it's did, a matter of getting it on tape. Did Roy Thomas Baker, what, what, what did he, how did, first of all, how did you, how did you get to work with him? Um, I mean, that's a, for a, a first album, brand yeah. new band. Yeah. And here, this, this, here's this legend. He's going to come in. I know. We were really lucky. It's like... Um, like the label envisioned big things for us from the beginning, I guess. I mean, they mm-hmm. heard the songs and they said, you know, they, they, 
they gave us the, the good treatment. And, um, and they just set it up uh, for Roy to come to a show. And it was, it was a snowed out show at like, it was in Worcester, Massachusetts at like Holy Cross College or Trinity College. What, is, is there a Catholic college? I can't think of the I name. Think of it. I thought I read it was Holy Cross. But Holy Cross. <laughs> okay. I could be wrong. Let's go I've, with I've, Holy Cross. Christy's probably he probably I've knows it. I've got the book Frozen <sighs> Fire: The History of the Car, so we okay. can refer. Well, anyway, it was like you know, whole, we'll say Holy Cross, but there were like seven people in the audience. It was a snowstorm; nobody could get there, and our manager had a little Carmen gear, and he drove Roy <laughs> through the snow and fought his way to this to this gig, and. Um, as I say, you know, the, it was like a like a student union hall or a gymnasium or something, and it was practically empty. And uh, here's the great Roy Thomas Baker just coming off Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. and so on. And um, we didn't think any anything was going to come of it. And and then we finished our set, and and he was like something out of Monty Python character. <laughs> Ooh, hello, boys! Uh, you know, <laughs> that was lovely. Would you like to go to London and make a record? And we're like, yeah, we'd like to do that. That sounds pretty good to us. We, we'd like to go to London and make a record at George Martin's studio. You know, I mean, that, that sounds pretty good. Uh, you know, and they, they just really laid it on, Electra. They, they had us in a house in the Mayfair District of London, which is like the classiest district, of, you know, most upscale. And there was a, a husband, wife, housekeeper, cook, and, you know, for a bunch of shit kickers from nowhere, this can I say uh, that? Yes, yeah, you can say anything you okay. want. Oh yeah, uh, this, this was this was big stuff. I mean, this was amazing. Across America, BP supports more than two hundred and seventy-five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms, and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We were just overwhelmed, honestly. And it was like a whirlwind. Like I say, the whole thing took 12 days and then nine days to mix. Roy would mix a song a day, nine tracks on the album. Wow. And then back on a plane home. And it was the blizzard of 77. We just missed it by being in England making a record. <laughs> Did, uh, and what about the... Se- who's, who was in charge of sequencing? Because the album starts with Good Times Roll, My Best Friend's Girl, Just What I Needed. I mean, that just that just hits you yes. over the head. And each one is three minutes and 14 seconds. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's And they would yeah. play... All, I mean, I remember at least in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area, they'd play all three, all together. With, all with, three of them. Amazing. Yeah. Texas was always real good to us. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. There you we, go, Christy. That's, that's, well, no, we no always wonder. loved going there. We always had a great response and good times in Texas. I mean, I remember, you know, being in Austin and Billy Gibbons taking me around <gasps> to Earl Wine's guitar shop and his favorite Mexican restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, uh, Jimmy Vaughn would always come to our shows wow. all the time. You wouldn't think, you know, a bluesy guy, but... Um, and would, would these guys, when these guys would compliment you, that must have just felt amazing. Well, You're, it always because, feels good to be considered part of a community. Yeah. And to be accepted as part of the musical community and, and, and have you yeah. know, your peers like what you do and go, man, that's a good lick you played there. And yeah, of course it made me feel at, good. At what point did you feel like, oh, these guys are my peers? You know, because I'm sure at the beginning you were like, well, I'm not. 
good like those guys. Yeah, I'm 23. I'm yeah. 22. You did that, or I thought they're not my peers. They're not as good as me. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good way. That's that's okay too. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know. Let's play something else off that first album. Let's go with uh, "You're All I've Got Tonight." Okay. Well. All or right. what did you want to say? I wanted to play all mixed up. Okay, then let's do all mixed up. Ladies' choice. Yes. <laughs> and of course, the ladies always go with this Benjamin Orr guy. <laughs> He's, he was the guy with the sexy swagger in that car. Like hey. Yes, they did. He's a handsome guy. Then on, then on the back of Candiello, the guy has to eat a lollipop to make it even more crazy Shush sexy. Hush it. Okay. I don't know. My first sexual experience was Herb Alpert's uh, Whipped Cream and Other Delights. Oh, I know that album cover. But I've got to tell you, so this song in particular, but that whole first album, I didn't discover the Cars until I was 11 years old, which is 1981. Mm -hmm. I had up to that point listened to, you know, Olivia Newton-John and Donna Summer. And I mean, I had that Super Tramp Breakfast in America, which I consider that like a gateway rock record. But um, I, gateway. the gateway rock record. <laughs> but then I went to visit my cousins Donna and Debbie mm-hmm. in Tennessee, and my um, uh, some relatives there. And she had this like BTO, and she had anyway. She had a bunch of like rock records, and I was left to my own devices. And sometimes I would just um, hide and then jump out and scare them. That was something I did to pass the time. But I found this record, and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know this. And I would play it, and that she had a rocking chair right in front of the record player. She didn't have headphones, so I would literally hold the speakers to my ears, listening to that whole record. Like there was something that, that I'm like, oh, now I like rock and roll music. Like yeah. that now I get it. And that song in particular, even though I was just a kid and I didn't really understand the adult themes and whatnot, it was just something that, that I got into and moved me. And like Olivia and Donna, they went to the back of the stack and I came back that summer. I bought Face Dances by The Who and I bought <laughs> The Cars. And it was funny too, because I'm like, oh, Kenny Jones, he might be my favorite member. He's so cute. Like not knowing, not knowing any of the previous, I mean, Moon of course, anything. you know, you go back and do research. But anyway, yeah, that was just a kid. Yeah. <laughs> that was my, that, that record just changed my life. And then I'd listen to the radio. Now, were you drawn originally to like the look of the cover or the faces on the back? Yes. Or? And I'd pick it and I'm like, ooh, this, this was kind of mysterious. And like these guys were really interesting looking and it was very stylized. Yeah. So it was the whole package that was very intriguing. Yeah. And then I would go home and I'd listen to the radio and I'd be like, oh, that's a car song. I can tell. And that panorama was already out and Candio was already out. And so I got the, and then shake it up came out right about that time. And I could even tell like that's the cars. And I think that's more recent than the one that oh. like it all just, and then, it, then it, you know, well, that's great when you just, when you discover a band a, a, that's well, been around a while. Fan we pray for. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But yeah, when you discover a band that's been around for a couple albums and then you mm-hmm. go, I bought this album and then you go, wait, there's other albums oh, that I could buy right now. Right That's like now. the greatest feeling. Yeah. But yeah, for me with the cars, I was, uh, I was in, I was listening to what my brother would listen to at the time. He was listening to like Neil Diamond uh-huh. and the Four Seasons. And then I, I was listening to the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and then my neighbors, had this Cars record and I was like what is that and they go you can borrow it if you want and I borrowed it from them and I had it for weeks and finally they're like hey we need to get that record back from you I'm like okay come get it and then I bought it yeah. but um, yeah it's just it's just such a great album and yeah the the, uh, the covers of these albums you just see them and I don't know what it makes you feel but it makes you feel something well David this, Robinson the drummer was mm-hmm. always our little in-house art director uh-huh. and he usually uh, supervised those things 
a little known fact is that the inner sleeve to the first Cars album with the series of black and white yeah. photos, that was supposed to be the cover. And Electra just didn't get it. Yeah. They thought, well, you know, I mean, we we were something very new and different mm-hmm. for them. They were very West Coast company, and their bread and butter was, you know, L.A. singer-songwriter rock. Yeah, like Jackson Brown type Jackson stuff. Brown, Linda Ronstadt, yeah. the Eagles, and here come these scruffy guys from Boston, and... It wasn't really codified what was new wave or punk or right. anything like that. They just weren't sure what to do with us. And so they made this cover with this girl, with this gaping maw on the front, you know, and clear steering wheel and stuff. And yeah, you guys don't like that. But I actually, I mean, I've read that you guys didn't like it, but I, I think it's very, well, you know, iconic. interesting. Yeah, yeah. yes. Well, it, it is now. <laughs> yeah. It becomes after the fact. Yes, right. yes, of but course. But to us, we, you know, David had turned in a cool cover. Yeah. Which, we, which they turned into the inner sleeve. Yeah. So At least they didn't throw it out completely. No, but I mean, that, that was supposed to be on the outside. Yeah. And then they came up with something that looked much more Hollywood, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, you know, okay. okay. Much more L.A., maybe less, uh, wouldn't tell you as much about what the music was inside right. as what our cover did, but people worked it out. Well, the album's so good, I, 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 don't, I don't think it would have mattered what no. cover they would have released. In the end, you still would have sold six million copies. Uh, well, thank you. But as a guy, I do like seeing a hot girl on the cover. <laughs> well, and from the, the <laughs> first two covers, clearly the, the message to women are the cars are going to make you pass out. They're just going to make you <laughs> faint dead away. <laughs> so the, the second record came about, mm-hmm. and Roy Thomas Baker is back again. Yeah, he and, did the first four. And I read that a lot of the songs were already written, or how did that, then you guys are back in the studio after this killer album. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've, heard, I've heard this described a lot of ways some people refer to as the sophomore jinx, you know, having to follow up a successful first album. What they call sophomore slump sometimes. Sophomore slump. Uh, I've heard the expression, you've had your whole life to write your first record. You have six months to write your second record. Mm -hmm. Just like you said, the first album, you guys have been playing their songs in the clubs for for a long time. Yeah, but, um, you know, I think Rick was on a roll. Um, I, I love the second album. Yeah, I love Candy Yeah, because I came to it after the fact. Like, I had no idea that there was any... Like, to me, it also had great, strong, awesome right. songs. There was no I, slump in the quality. No. Yeah. I, Not I for me don't either. I get that. Yeah, I just... Yeah. It's, um, I mean... We were ready to go. I mean, everybody was ready to do their job, including, you know, from songwriting mm-hmm. to, to the musicians. And, uh, you know, it, it was just one of those things that every, everything was just right you know and then uh the artist vargas is that his name Alberto did the, vargas. Alberto vargas. He, he did the uh he did the cover for he this did the cover david is a great fan of uh pinup art from like mm. esquire magazine in the right. 40s and 50s and stuff like that and vargas of course is the most famous artist uh, from those calendar girls and stuff and it's kind of a racy Cover a little bit, parts of it. Yeah, not, now great, I can look back yeah. at it, but like my dad bought it for me for Christmas. Yeah. It didn't yeah. blink an eye. Yeah, and I didn't think anything of it either <laughs> yeah. at the time. But then, uh, you it's know, kind a couple of a years ago. sketch. I mean, it's it is a loose yeah, sketch. It's yes. specific or anything. Right. Um, that but, might just be my dirty mind, Elliot, <laughs> looking at it a little bit too closely. Mr. Vargas came, he had never been to a rock concert before, and he came to Universal Amphitheater. And how old of a man would he be at that time? He was quite old. Okay. I, mean, I, I don't think, I, I think he only lived another couple of years. He's probably Rick Ocasek's age. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <No, I'm kidding. laughs> a little bit older than that. But, um, you know, 
he was delighted with the whole thing. He loved, he, he came to Universal and, and he loved the excitement of it and the music and the, the young pretty girls. I mean, mm-hmm. he obviously loved that. And, um, you know, because he loved beautiful women. Yeah. He couldn't paint them so, so beautifully if he didn't love them. That's true. And uh, he was just as sweet as can be and we all got coffee table books of his <laughs> that he signed. Oh, wow. And, do you still have that? I do. Good. I do. <laughs> Um, well, no, no, that was that was that was a cool thing. Yeah, what do you, what do you want to play? Oh, let's was, hear something from uh, Candio. You know, I I really I love. Let's go. Can we hear a little bit of that? All right, let's drop it in. Guitar solo in there? I don't. Um, the, I, I must have given you a, a bad, cue, a wrong cue. Oh, it's okay. All right, sorry. It's great, no matter where you drop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There wasn't a big guitar solo in this song anyway. Yeah, no, I, I, just I, a little fills, tiny little taste. And stuff. I was, think, I think, uh, I think it's all I can do has a has a nice oh, solo okay. in there. That's got a solo on it. Let's hear that. What? Um, it's like two for Sunday. <laughs> Which one is this? Candio? Yes. yes. This has got got a lot of my head. Is a good one. Yes. Here we go. Yeah. So I think I interrupted you, Christy. You wanted to no, say no, something. No, I, no. I, I want to say something about that. Like, I love how your solos, you could literally sing along to that solo, to all your solos. That's what I was just going to say. That, yeah. And that was always my goal, was to, that you could walk away whistling them. I was never trying to play for other guitar players. I was just trying to play for people. Mm. You know, where you, you go to some of these like Guitar Hero concerts, and the, the whole audience is just filled with other guys that play guitar. That was not my thing. It never was. I wanted to play music that people could enjoy and 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 that's what turned me on you know growing up on 60s top 40 radio and there'd be a short solo and there'd be hooks you know certain it was all the Beatle records and all those things started with a, a hook mm-hmm. and um exactly what you just said is 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 what i always say is like that if you could walk away humming it or whistling it then absolutely I've done my job and it, it, you're right it, it, the cars it is a band for for everybody it's a band for guys it's a band for girls yes. it's not it's not like rush that it's 90 percent guys it's it's for everyone that's what it is yeah and, and, and you know maybe maybe it's because of, of the way i constructed some of those solos but oftentimes when i was trying to come up with these things i'd work with a little cassette deck and and take home or take back to the hotel room uh, like a rough mix of the of the basic track and sometimes, before even picking up a guitar to come up with these solos, I would just whistle or sing a solo. Huh. And so that took me out of the patterns, the usual patterns that your hands normally just fall into, and I would figure out on guitar what I just sang. And it would take me to places I wouldn't normally go if I was just playing the usual pentatonic blues box that every guitar player falls back right. on. In, you know, in the absence of a... A good idea. 
But uh, I had all these little strategies that I would do for coming up with cool stuff. Sometimes I'd come up with a harmony and then throw away the original melody and mm -hmm. just play the harmony. So you'd get this upper structure melody that went with the chords but wasn't based on the one three five. You know, it was based on had more tension to it. Yeah. The um. So the the third album then that comes out is Panorama, and to me, I don't know if you agree with this. This is this seems like the quirkiest of, of all the love Cars albums. Panorama, I do too. I love it. Yeah, love. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, because I, I again rereading things, and I, I'm just like, it's just different. It's just yeah. different. And anyway, I'll tell you before you get started playing or playing it. Um, for us, it was just the next record. Mm -hmm. we, we, we never sat down and said, okay, now we're going to do something more experimental or a little bit more out there. It was not like that. Yeah. It was just, okay, here's this year's batch of tunes. And, uh, you know, maybe w whatever Rick was listening to at that time, I don't know. You know, but it was, we were like a little surprised when people came back with those comments because we just thought, well, we're just moving along, uh -huh. you know. Yeah, it's, uh, and there's more Ben on this album. He sings four of the ten songs. I think that's... None of that stuff was, like, thought out. Though. No. And it's funny. I never, ever, cons like, counted or considered... Because, yeah. again, I'm reading stuff, and I'm right. like, oh, that's so funny. I don't even know... You know, I mean, I know, but right. I never counted and logged. I'm just actually looking at it right in front of my face. That's why I'm oh. seeing it right now. But um, who decided, you know, with Rick writing the songs, yes. did, was it a band decision who would sing it, or did Rick say, I think you would sound better on this one, Ben? Um, it wasn't so much a band decision as it was a decision between those two guys. Okay. Like they put their heads together, uh, you know, during the, maybe several times during the course of the album, mm -hmm. Rick would say, well, what do you think? You think, you think you want to sing this one? I think this one needs your voice mm -hmm. or would benefit from your voice or, you know, and they'd kind of knock around and go, yeah, I'll take that one. And like, I remember, um, uh, Rick sang all mixed up until we recorded it, mm -hmm. like on stage and in clubs. Oh. He always sang all mixed wow. up. And then when we got to the studio, um, they decided to give it to Ben. It just, you know. Oh. That's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I can't imagine anyone but Ben no. singing all mixed up. Yeah. Well, if you can ever find an old tape from The Rat or something or us playing all mixed up before we made the record, you're likely to find Rick singing it. That's pretty interesting. That is. Yeah. Well, I want to play um, from Panorama. Yes. I want to play Touch and, Touch and Go because the solo is off the chain. That's one of my favorites. It's, it's one of my most proud solos. It's beyond. got like a country. It's, it's, it's everything. Like, yeah, let's hear Just, it. It's beyond. Afterwards, I'll tell you the story. Okay. Later. Turn that up in my head. Elliot, that is just so I mean, good. I just got a chill. 
I mean, it sounds like you're bending the it's guitar all. It's so crazy. crazy. Yeah, it's so good. 25 years old. Uh, <sighs> no one's, no now, one's playing that now. No I'll one's tell, doing that I'll, now. I'll tell you the story, too, because it almost didn't get on the record. <gasps> I had Blasphemy. A, I had a fight. I was in tears. Um, I went in the day it was time to cut that solo, and I played it. And I expected everybody to like start jumping up and down and go, man, that was amazing. And they were all like, hmm. That must be terrible. (coughs) And the engineer, who should never have opened his mouth in the first place, says, well, it sounds too worked out. It sounds like you're you're thinking about it. Uh, Can we try some other approaches? And my head was going to explode. You know, when you hear the touch and dong, 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 dong. Well, that was, I was trying to get like a six-string bass tremolo Wichita mm-hmm. lineman kind of thing there. Mm. And um, I tried a whole solo on that, playing Ben's bass upside down through a Fender amp with tremolo. You know, dung, 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 <laughs> dung. And, and eventually I, 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 I popped. I said, guys, Please. this is the solo. You've got to let me put the solo on. And maybe it was psychological. Maybe they were just messing with me because the next time I played the solo, I was like, tears were flying out of my eyes, and I just ripped it off in one take. And they said, "Now you got it," <laughs> because it, it sounded spontaneous, at the, and it didn't sound like so thought out and planned out. And that was their big objection because I, I worked hard on that thing. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, that was a composition. Uh, composed in parts and pieces and I, I was like I, I was so prepared and then when it didn't get the react, uh, reaction I'd hoped oh. for I was just devastated and then we started getting further and further away from it, trying these stupid approaches to mm-hmm. you know another idea of the solo and I thought no man this is my voice this is me singing <laughs> you know when you hear me play those solos I, that's when I'm the singer right. that's my voice and I really got upset and, and, and uh, get upset thinking about it. Because <laughs> it's like one of the best pieces of work I ever did uh-huh. with the cars, and it almost didn't make it on the record. Wow. And I had, a, I had to, like, fight for it. But then they were all smiling. And I think, I don't know if Roy was using a little bit of psychology. Mm. Or, it worked because I got really mad and really worked up, and I just, give me that guitar, and I just played it again. And they said, okay. I mean, it sounds... Perfect for that song. It sounds like it's meant to be in that song. I can't yes. even imagine people going, mm, "No, Elliot." Can you believe that? I mean, that's oh. that's my that's my go-to air guitar when I'm driving. I, I'm I'm I up here and I'm down here on the steering wheel. That's how I air guitar. And that's my that's my go-to. I'm pretty good at it. I got to tell you, I can nail that air guitar so well. <laughs> When it's just me. Well, my life was passing before my eyes. You mean I'm not going to put this solo on the record? Christy, do you have anything else from uh, Panorama? I do. I do. Um, Gosh, this was hard because I love all the songs. Um, But this one's really interesting to me. Um, It's called Getting Through. Okay, let's hear this.
you haven't there's never been any sound that's like great. that like that's Sounds like a video game to it me. Does. But it, let me ask you something. Do you do you it, do you understand what Rico Kasich's what his <gasps> lyrics mean? Yes, that, I've always wanted to ask as well. <laughs> yeah, because like when I read them, because he, he he released them in a book, and when I go through yes. them, I'm like I'm like I don't really I'm not still yeah not the Weisenheimer these. brainstorm yeah. or like there's a cheetah walking high. Yeah. I mean I love I I, oh, I, I love mean, it too. I love, love. And maybe maybe it's better that things make you think a little bit or interpret it the way you want to interpret right. it. But back then when you guys would see the lyrics, were you like? I don't quite know what this is about. Well, I think it was just, you know, poetry, impressionistic stuff. And, right. You know, just designed to sort of create an image mm-hmm. in your head. It could be, yeah. everybody could have a dim- different image of what right. I mean, I mean, look at some of Dylan's lyrics. Well, and, that's true. You know, what does that, what does that mean, you know? Yeah, when I think of Rico Kasich, I really, the word artist is definitely, it. Before, even before like, a lead singer or musician, just the word artist kind of yes. jumps in my head. He, I feel like he feels to me like, oh, that's what an artist is. Yeah, I wouldn't presuppose to say that I knew exactly what was in his head when yeah. he was writing them, but I think, you know, I mean, it, it's there for you to get an impression from. Mm-hmm. Right. Creates, an, creates some kind of feeling. Yes. And you guys also started doing videos uh, with the Panorama yeah. record. How was that? Right. Yeah, videos then became a big a big thing for the cars. And yeah. what was that like? Was that fun? Was it, what was it like? It, it was fun. I it wasn't crazy about the early morning calls and sitting in a cold soundstage waiting to put some stupid makeup on. And like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not complaining. We're, you know, look, we were a very blessed band to have mm-hmm. the success we did. And all those things that came with it were, were exciting. Yeah. But, you know, I, I hesitate to call them hard work because then it sounds like you're moaning about right. it. Right. And I, 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 I'm not, you know, but it's not hard work. It's just different work just from what you on, want to be. Yeah, doing. at five in the morning to be on a soundstage, hurry up and wait, and maybe four or five hours till they're ready right. for you. That's not the most fun thing in the world. And then pretending doing. to play your instruments, basically, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a different media. You yeah. know, you're you're creating a, a visual thing, but um, you know, we 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 enjoyed we enjoyed it, and you know, it was just part of the music mm-hmm. business changing where. Every single had to have a video accompanying it. And, of course, in those days, you know, big budget records and big budget right. videos and stuff, there was some crazy stuff that you could do. Is, uh, and this is, um, this is like record company stuff, but Panorama, it doesn't do as well as the first two albums do. Yeah. So is the, is the record company no. worried? Nothing like that. They're we, just we like, never, keep doing what you do. We never, or at least it never filtered down to me. Mm-hmm. We never got any interference with... Oh, I don't hear a hit, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, people come, you know, A and R guys coming down to the studio and listening. They never bothered us. The record company stayed away. They just said, you know, hey, you know, you guys knocked it out of the park with the first one. Just, just do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Just do what you're doing. And back then, it wasn't so much like it is today, where if like one record doesn't knock it out of the park, they drop you. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a thing called artist development in those days, mm-hmm. where they, they might get a kid who they thought the world of and thought was going to be, you know, the next Jackson Brown or something. And if, and even Jackson Brown's first record wasn't a hit, he might not have gotten a second chance in right. today's world. Yeah. But back or then, Springsteen. Or Springsteen. Yeah. So many. Yeah, so Bob many. Bob Dylan. You know, uh, so, y- you know, you got a second chance then. Yeah. And, of course, we'd pr- already proven ourselves. So, I, I don't know, maybe they were just thinking... 
oh, this must be their blue period. I hope it passes soon and they get back to writing little pop hits or something. But. Well, then with the, with the next album, you, you definitely have a, a huge pop hit with the title track. Which, yes. Which is funny because sh- the song Shake It Up was, was around for Panorama. And uh, David uh, kind of vetoed it. He didn't think, mm-hmm. think much of it. Of course, it was one of our biggest singles. Yeah. So it shows you what we know. It's so funny though, because in a way, in a way, you did know because "Shake It Up" doesn't feel like it would fit on Panorama to me. What right? Do you think? It feels like well, it, need, it, it's, it needs to be with "Since You're Gone" and "I'm Not the One" and, and well, "Think the, It Over." It almost fit on Panorama, and also uh, the song "Slip Away" that uh, Ian Lloyd covered. Slip, slip away now. It's Ian on Lloyd. The, it's on the, um, the anthology. Yeah, the anthology. The purple sparkle one. Yes. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And the Cars recorded a version of it and it didn't, I don't know, maybe it didn't come out as so great or something. Mm-hmm. And Rick gave that to Ian Lloyd from Stories. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, Ian Lloyd did a lot of, uh, Louis. and he did a lot of background ah. vocals on the Foreigner albums. He's always he credited. Yes. That guy. Okay. And him and Ben, uh, Rick and Ben went to the studio and taught it to the band and uh, sang background mm-hmm. harmony on Ian Lloyd's version of Slip Away. I don't think he had a big hit with it or anything. It was just a song that was around at the time. Let's hear Shake It Up, though, because this guitar, guitar solo, solo is yes. crazy amazing, too. Well, I'll tell you about that. Later. All right. When I say stop it, stop it, stop it. Okay, so that that's the first half of the solo. Right. The whole idea of the solo, I wanted to sound like two guys trading off. Oh. And so for the first half of the solo, I played a Fender Telecaster through a small Fender amp, and I wanted to do like a chicken-picking, mm-hmm. almost country-flavored solo. Then the second half of the solo, which we'll play on from, is a Gibson Crank. This is two different guitars wow. on one solo. Well, how do you right. do that in, in concert? You just have to play it on one. You just play it on one. But at the time, I played it up to that point, had them stop the tape, switched guitars, cranked the amp, and said, okay, wow. let's finish That's... the solo now. And I wanted it to be like two guys. I'm going to say rock solid exclusive on that. I, I mean, honestly, like I feel like my contribution <laughs> yeah. to the world has been given thing. today. <laughs> No, this is the truth. That's great, though. I listen, mean, listen to the. If you want to play it from the beginning, yeah, play yes, it from the yes. beginning. And I'll Let's hear it. You, I'll show you the cut point, and you can see how the character changes. All right. I was like playing two different characters. <laughs> Shake it up. So here's here's the country guy. Okay. That's a Telecaster. And here comes Wailing Guy. And there's just a little bit of a... Hear the tone half, half second before this... Yeah. And that last lick I stole from Hey Grandma, Moby Grape. <laughs> from Moby Grape's Hey Grandma. Yeah. Yeah, that is just. Uh, I mean, that's can, such. Can you a, hear that now? Yes. Well, it, yes. I that still is would, really amazing. But that's one of those things. Of like, someone, if one of my friends had told me if they knew that back then, I'd go, "That no, that's not true. That's the same guitar." Yeah. It's just a, a concept. You know, it's just like an idea of an approach. Shake it up. That is like that's that's like a three and a half minute perfect pop song. That's summer to me. When I hear that, I think the tops down. I'm I'm driving with my best girl, 
and I've got a, I've got a, I've got a big gulp because you don't drink and drive, kids. It's a happy song. It is a happy song. But here's what I love about that record mm-hmm. is you have stuff like that. And but you yeah. also have some great, like, moody, dark. I want to play um, Cru- a little bit of Cruiser, yeah, this is which I Cru- played bass on. Um, oh. But Shake It Up, it's one of those songs that must be just the right amount of beats per minute to do aerobics to. <laughs> because, <laughs> am I wrong? Uh, no, it's you're completely every, every, right. Every woman I've ever met that like works that says, oh, yeah, I have Shake It Up on my workout. Oh, my God, that's great. <laughs> it's just the right speed for Absolutely. It. Well, I know, Chris, this is your jam. Oh. Cruiser is your song. Oh, Cruiser. I knew I wanted to play like one of the songs that was kind of on the edgier, darker sure. side, and it was between this and maybe Baby. Mm-hmm. But Ben's vocal on this song is so badass that like I had to. And the, on the uh, one of the um, the DVDs, not the Music Lot, and the other one um, unlocked. unlocked, there is like an extra of Cruiser, and it is like five guys killing it like <laughs> at their like just uh, and i reposted it on my facebook page i'm like just watch this just for everyone just crushing it anyway I'm you know what this is another one i can't believe i must have done this twice the solo at the end i have to hear it because i haven't heard it in, in quite a while but if i remember correctly i was going for a roundabout like at the end of abbey road mm-hmm. with all three guitar players playing a lick and with a and so it's like a different. You know, when it's like Paul, George, and John. And I think I was trying to do that by myself. On do you think you can oh, find it? Can, can we find can you, it? Okay. It'd be the end. Look, you're really producing now, buddy. You're, Kyle is, <laughs> he has to f- look for it. Yeah, it's coming up. Maybe you'll hear what I mean. Oh, we're not going to stop it. No. It's so awesome. Okay. Yes. Okay. In my warped mind. Two. This Lennon. Wow. You know what I mean? Yes. That's awesome. Wow, that's great. Different character. I like how excited now, you are to yeah. hear the stuff. The rough one. Yeah. That's the one. And then it just goes out. I'm glad you pointed that out to me because as, as many times as I've heard the song, that might have just gone by me. It never occurred to anybody. And now when I listen to it, it's going to be a whole new thing. That's what I, was going through my head. You know, I'm, I, there's no, there's no b- bigger Beatle fan than I am. And, and uh, you know, I, I've read just every book. And, you know, you know, when Lennon say, oh, this is me doing my Elvis. And yeah. nobody in the world would hear it that way. would mm. think, it doesn't sound anything like that. But in his head, you know, and in my head, that's what I was doing. 
Wow. It works. Like, I, Not that's that it amazing. Would, it wouldn't matter to your enjoyment of the song, but it was just how I motivated myself to, to do that. Right. The, um, now here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now here, this this is the part in the uh, in in the Cars history where where we get a new producer. Yeah, how did that come about? Yeah, because Roy Thomas Baker seemed like he was doing a great job. He was yeah. doing a great job. There was no reason to. There was there was no reason that we didn't want to mm-hmm. work with him anymore. Right. I think. We just thought we've done four records with him. What might it be like working with somebody else? And and so, uh, so and you know, Mutt, Mutt Lang, a pretty. I mean, from ACDC and Def Leppard. Mutt was and kind of the new Roy, anyway. He was. He was the new. He was the new kid on the block. Lots of hits. So, but is this but your just decision? that one picture? Tons of hits. Only that one picture. Yeah, he does that not I like. He, he does, does not like to not be like photographed. To be, nope, Mutt nope. does not want to be photographed. No. And, and in his contract, he has to be called Robert John, John Mutt. <laughs> Mutt oh yeah. yeah. Did um. Have to have Mutt in there. So do you guys pick him? Does the record company pick him? Pick we picked him? him. I mean, the record company certainly would have would have helped put us together. Mm-hmm. And I remember he came over Rick's house in in Newton, Massachusetts at the time, and um, we talked, and he was real nice. He's nothing like. Uh, what any of us thought from listening to his work with ACDC and stuff like that. Mm. He, he looked like a surfer dude. Like, you know, he, he was wearing Vans and, and curly, you know, like wavy, shaggy blonde hair. And he's from uh, South Africa. Um, but he was just like really up and happy, friendly guy. And he was nice to everybody. And, uh, you know, we just thought we'd give it a try. And it and it 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 works as far as uh, album sales. I mean, Heartbeat City is is a monster again. Yeah, I mean, got Drive. You might yeah. think all these great songs. On Since it. you're Magic. gone, Magic. So it was. No, a, no. It was. A, why can I? Oh no, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Why Sorry. Why can I have you? Thank you for correcting me, Christy. <laughs> a lot of good, a lot Hello again. And Heartbeat City, which was a great, yeah, great mm-hmm. song. And you might think which won the first video of the year. Yes. Was like the, yep. Like a really big important video for MTV. What was, was that experience like going to that ceremony, doing that? What was that like? It, the one thing that sticks out in my mind about that night was that we were sitting in, and, and Ben was on the aisle and John Denver was hosting. And he, <laughs> what? Yeah, John Denver was He's there. hosting. Wow. John Denver. And he was singing a song and he, he had a long chord and he got stepped off the stage and down into the audience and he's walking along and hey... You know, looking at people. That, uh, Donna Summer over there, and you know, there's Bob Seeger, you know. And he gets to Ben. And Ben, ben just like, what the <laughs> And they, they got the camera off him real quick because Ben just lost it. He's just laughing so hard with John Denver singing at him. It was just, oh my gosh, that's just, funny. It was funny. Was, uh, was Ben, the, was he a wild card in the band? Was he the most like a reverent type sense of humor? Or what was, what was Ben Orr like? Oh God! I, I hate to think of who would win that contest. We're all <laughs> pretty crazy at yeah. times. Ben was just a a great guy. He was funny. He was mm-hmm. kind. Um, 
he just has a look in his face like, yeah, I'm up to something. Yeah. You know very what I mean? Impish. He looks like, yeah. like, the, like the cat who got the canary. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Ben, ben was, uh, there were things that we never learned about Ben till after he was gone. Like he was taking care of cousins and family members financially that we never knew about and wow. never mentioned and never wanted any credit for. Mm-hmm. And he did a lot of stuff that he was kind of, um, a little bit of a closed book, uh, Ben, you know, he, he liked his alone time. He was great to hang out with and he was mm-hmm. funny and he was great, but he, he had a side of him that, uh, that you c- couldn't necessarily penetrate. So, so then when he became ill, did you guys not know? Well, we I eventually mean, heard, um, he was playing in that band. Was it large people? Was big it, people. Big people. Yeah. Uh, and, um, we heard that he was quite sick and that he was sitting down while he was playing mm-hmm. and, uh, but he kept playing right up till the end, and then, you know, you got you mentioned that unlocked thing. We we all went down to Atlanta and filmed that interview at the Ted Turner Building, and uh, it was shocking. Yeah, he looks. It's difficult to it's, watch. Yeah, he was he was down to nothing, and he was very weak. And mm. It was very you know sad. Yeah, and did his young because guy. yeah, very young. He that instrument like his voice i think he's the most like underrated rock singer in history but did it just naturally come out of him like that or was he always doing vocal exercises like <laughs> what did, that just came out and that was uh, yeah perfect no, yeah he, he he wasn't doing vocal exercises. <laughs> like i'm not gonna drink tonight guys i've got a show tomorrow like was it or definitely was just... not ben <laughs> he might okay. have been gargling with jack daniels before he'd be got it okay in the other direction no, we didn't pamper ourselves or make a big fuss about what we did. We just did what we did, and when he opened his mouth, that beautiful sound came oh, out. Yeah. He just had a gift. You yeah. Know? He, mm. Just a great singer, but he wasn't like, you know, me, 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 me. Okay. Or go to bed early or anything like that. He was one of the boys. And what's it like, because I want to know what it's like behind the scenes with the cars, because you never heard, like, like debauchery right. or groupies or and drugs you never heard any yeah. of that that's it was why like, there's never been a behind the music about the cars because there's we, not is there no because none of us ever like od'd and you know and died and had to be brought back to life yeah. on a you know in the yeah. hospital or you know had huge addictions or yeah. things like that it's not you know i don't want to say boring but it, it's not it's not so um Sensational, right? Wasn't one of your uh, you guys' ideas of um, trashing hotel rooms was just uh, making the pictures just a little bit askew? That that would have to be Greg. <laughs> okay, I read that that uh, was uh, like just, we're just gonna tweak the nothing well, you that you could notice. I kind of like decorated dressing room with <gasps> yes. cold cuts. What <laughs> was what happened in the moments right before that? Was that just fun or was that it was just, that was just our humor? Okay, just like the fact that you you take a piece of ham and just go like that and it stays and we just thought that was really funny I mean, you just get stir crazy i guess after a while well and what i think was so great about the unlocked was there you sh- they show these great concert clips where you guys are having a blast yeah and what's really interesting about the interstitials and i think the point it's trying to make is that like in between is kind of a grind you've got like to wait a lot and you've got to you know interviewers who don't know who you are right. and mm-hmm. it was kind of told in this little kind of staccato way that was very and believe me i could have watched those things forever yes. oh, it was great when someone would come up to me and go hey david you guys are great you know, <laughs> oh. All that stuff, but oh man my but were there cars groupies the people hanging out 
Not that you. I just meant were they there? Not that you did anything. Right. Of course not. They no. just wanted to pay, play parcheesi. Well, there had yeah, to be. Yeah. yeah. We would just uh, have cookies and milk at the end of the show. <laughs> That's what I thought. Play That's parcheesi or backgammon. Great. You know. You know. <laughs> my my stock answer about all the all the nonsense and stuff is that I I would play for free. And you pay me for the other 22 hours of the day. <laughs> because that's the hard part. Yeah. The playing was pure joy, always to, to this day. I mean, is just fun. I would, I would be playing if, if I, the cars never made it, if mm-hmm. I was just playing in the corner bar. I'd still be playing guitar. And um, it's the, it was the hotels and the, and, and the buses and trains and, not trains, but, you know, just, early morning wake-up calls mm-hmm. to go to an airport and being jostled and, you know, all that stuff. That stuff was kind of work, but not playing yeah. music for 90 minutes. If you could just beam on stage like in Star Trek every oh, night and that, play that and that then beam be back to your own true. bed, that would be amazing. That would be a dream come true. <laughs> but, uh, it was the other BS that really got yeah. to you, not, not playing the show. That's just pure fun. But you guys were, you guys were having, you guys had fun with each other on the road though. I mean, oh, off yeah. stage we, too, you guys we laughed a lot. Okay, man. cool. We had a good time. You have to, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't go through what we went through and not be bonded in some mm. way. I mean, we, we were only the five of us know what it was like to be in the cars and right. go through that stuff. And, and, uh, and at that point, did you guys still travel like together as a unit or were you guys a l- little bit separated? Well, we never did a bus tour. We always yeah. flew. Which, yeah, because you're the cars, goddamn. Yeah, I mean, I would yeah. so much have rather been on a bus. <laughs> oh, look at that! It's so much easier. It's so much easier. Mm-hmm. You sleep while you travel. You don't have to get up early in the morning. I, you know, it wasn't. I, I didn't know any better. It was my first big right. music biz experience. Um, but we all, we all traveled together. Nice, because you you know you hear a lot of times after so long, then oh, this guy is. In a limo, and these guys are in a packing van, and that guy's... <laughs> well, I'll, I, I will say that there were three limos. Okay. Okay, so, like, Rick would take one with, like, the road manager. Okay. Then me and Greg would get one, you know, as soon as we rolled away from the curb, break out our weed. Then, <laughs> okay. There we then, go. And then um, uh, David and Ben, you know, would get in another one, start opening their little black books and figuring out what city they were in. <laughs> Ah. Um, um, okay, so Heartbeat City, those videos were so, like, not just the one that won, but I want to know what yeah. working with Andy Warhol was like. Yeah. like I mean, you guys, what was that whole experience? I mean, in that period, it was like, it was the Cars and Duran Duran. Like, those felt like uh, that's who was on MTV nonstop. Yes. Which probably helped Heartbeat City to sell even more. Well, Andy didn't say... Five words to me. I mean, he, okay. he was just the bartender in the video. <laughs> in fact, I mean, like so many things in, in Andy Warhol's world, there were other people doing a lot of the grunt work, and it would just, you know, or, you know, even in, in the art stuff. Yeah. You know, and uh, so he had a guy who headed up his film department. I forget the guy's name now. And he really directed it. Mm-hmm. And he got <sighs> Lisa Gershon is in it. You noticed, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yes. And, G- Gina Gershon. Gina Gershon. Gina Gershon. Yes. I, meant, yes. I meant Gina Gershon. I, I made a mistake earlier, too. She sticks out her tongue. She's got the alphabet thing yeah. from the alphabet soup. And Diane Brill. Diane Brill is in there. This guy named Ming Vaz. Like, all these, like, you know, this freaky Warhol crowd. Mm-hmm. And Andy, he's real quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, and he didn't say a lot. I mean, he's just, like, standing behind the bar, like, drying glasses, I think, or something. Yes. And that's about all he did that day. I mean, he... <laughs> 
he's not, uh, he's very shy, you know, he's not ebullient and outgoing. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't going to like jumping into stuff and everything. But he, you know, he honored us with being in our video and that was cool. And it was an Andy Warhol production, but, you know, there were other people working on it too. Got it. Yeah, I love all those videos. Oh, that drive video. I mean, wa- like, watch it now. That thing holds up. I mean, not just the song, yeah. but that video is dynamite. And that was directed by Timothy Hutton, yes. the actor. Correct. Correct. And Paulina, who he, he cast, who, he, in who it. he cast in it. Yep. And uh, I remember the moment Rick met her. I was sitting in between them in, in the limo, which was very uncomfortable because there was <laughs> sparks. Wow. You know, so you could feel it. I'm stuck in the middle. Like this, and I, I could tell these two, <laughs> I could feel it. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a nice story. And this, I should know this, mm-hmm. but that great shot at the end when you guys are all, are you just frozen, or did they make a wax figure of it you? It looks like... It, it looks insane. Yeah, like, it looks... Like, just standing still. Yeah. I mean, how, like... It you really guys looks are really still. Really still. Yeah. How much weed that day to make you stand so still? Plenty. <laughs> the, uh... The recording process, I'm, I'm, from what I've heard about Mutt Lang, I'm assuming it was different from Roy Thomas Baker. Yeah, well, everybody's got their methods, right. but uh, <laughs> we, we didn't expect to take a year and spend right. $2 million making a record. But then the yeah. outcome of that experience, you're like, well, I guess that worked. It worked. It was so, <laughs> even though it worked, it was hard. Yeah. Man. I mean, we were, we, were, we were away from home for the better part of a year. Where did you record? In London. In London. At um, uh, Battery Studios, mm-hmm. which was the old Morgan Studios okay. 10 years after, and all these great records were made. Um, it was out in Wilsdon, kind of a an Indian neighborhood of London, which was great because every morning we'd go to the local bakery and get these fresh samosas, <laughs> fresh baked samosas for breakfast. But... Um, it was it was different. It was different. Um, was he know, more of a taskmaster? Like, did you have to did you have to th- throw down your solos more than once or twice? I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'll say I, I tuned more than I played. Okay, and I mean, just to give you an example, I mean, with Roy, Roy, you know, Roy didn't let anything subpar go by, obviously, mm-hmm. and everything was great, but you know, at you know, at the height of working with Roy, a record probably took four to six to eight weeks or something yeah. like that and it was done. It seemed like plenty of time to record ten rock and roll songs. Yeah. This thing took a, a better part of a year and he would just like wear out engineers where they'd be asleep under the <laughs> desk and he'd just keep going. And he wore us all out and he was there for each five of us. Um, it was just... A, there was something about Mutt. He, he, his ears were like the ultimate acoustic analyzer mm-hmm. and he hmm. he heard things that none of us could hear i mean some of the songs the way they were constructed was we would lay down a lin drum a drum box part and mm-hmm. put the real drums on later okay which was a very clever way of doing it because once the song was on and all the background vocals and solos you could really hear where the holes were that needed to be filled we had want a tom tom fill and we had want a place that oh, nice so we do a lot of the recording just to a basic beat and then david would put his drums on afterwards and um so then david must be sitting around a, a lot all yeah, sat around like... a lot. Okay. i'll tell you i'm going to tell you but um but 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 
but might would listen to that Lynn drum and go, man, that hi-hat's off. Now, this is a machine. <laughs> it's a robot. Yeah. And he's moving the hi-hat back and forth a millisecond with... He had a pile of these AMS digital delays. And oh, my God. Moving things back and forth a millisecond. Oh, man, that snare drum's out. What are you talking it about? sounds so tedious. It's a drum machine. And then <laughs> and when it came time for Ben to put his bass parts on, Mutt got it into his head that the bass was fretted. The, fret, the frets are the little bars that go across the fingerboard. And Mutt got it into his head that it was fretted inaccurately, <laughs> that it wasn't playing in tune. So Ben had to get the bass refretted in England. Oh, my and, God. And, he said, and then it, it got to the point where he had... Each tuning peg had a different tuner, was going through a different tuner, calibrated differently, because he insisted that the whole thing was inaccurate and inconsistent. Oh you just God. couldn't believe One day, we had a beautiful house in, off Fulham Road in Chelsea, mm-hmm. right near King's Road. Gorgeous house, unheard of in London, with, with a pool and a sunbed. And it, was, it was Lionel Bart's house in the 60s, so it was a real party house with a minstrel gallery at the top of the living room, and it was sensational. And one day, it, it, it got to the point where if you knew you weren't going to be working on anything, you might not even bother going in. Yeah. Like, I might just stay home and, like, <laughs> go shopping or something. And so I was it, was, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning, and I was lying on the sofa watching television. I even remember I was watching Sergeant Bilko on British TV because the resolution they have more lines in their picture and I was marveling at how great the black and white looked it looked like high def you know so I'm watching this Bilko and Ben's getting ready to go to the studio I said okay take care Ben have a great day (laughs) you know have a good day hope you get some good stuff today and then I had my day and was out and about and you know right by King's Road so I like to go there and buy shoes because I'm a shoe queen and um (laughs) And uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's like maybe 11 o'clock at night. I'm back in the exact same spot where I started. I'm lying on the couch and I'm watching television and Ben comes home. And I say, so how'd it go today? Did you get, get something good? He goes, well, we're starting to get a sound. <laughs> we're starting <laughs> to get a sound. I mean, they had every bass amp in London, every brand rented and it was it, it was the funniest thing in the world. I mean, my guitar cabinet, it looked like it was like a press conference. It had like 30 microphones <laughs> jammed in front of it. And he'd listen to each microphone, you know, one at a time. Yeah. Of course, I'd be there playing, and he'd be listening to each mic. Oh, move that, move that one an inch. And, and he, he heard things that nobody else could hear. And I think... Did he? I mean... Well, I think so. Yeah, I think did. the question is, did he? Okay. okay. Would it have made that big a difference in the success of the record? I don't know if I can answer that question. Okay. But I think cumulatively, if you put all the little bits and pieces that he thought could be better, it probably added a sheen to the record that yeah. it might not have had. Got it. Okay. You know, all Mutt's records have a, a Mutt quality. To yeah, them, they do. Whether it's Shania Twain or Def Leppard or... There's a certain sound of his background vocals mm-hmm. and certain certain things that he does, and but he his brain is like a frequency analyzer. I mean, he hears stuff that I, I'm judging a book by its cover. But I've, I've, got, <laughs> I've got big ears, and I look at him and go, "What are you talking uh, yeah. about?" I'm judging a book by its cover, but I can't imagine the guys from ACDC sitting there and just like, "Ugh." come on, Mutt, right? Take, take him Especially that Bon Scott, right? Oh, can you yeah, I mean, did um. 
So I don't know what it was like for them. The, the, uh, the Heartbeat City is a gigantic success, but is there any? Is there even an inkling of talk after that record about working with Mutt again? No, because it's just too <laughs> tedious. Too tedious. Um, we liked him. We were very fond of him. You were happy with the results and all that, but all to do that, it again, no. No. And <laughs> okay. In <laughs> fact, right. that's in, fair. In yeah. fact, going further, I think we had a knee-jerk reaction to it and made a mistake. Because that record took so long and was so expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all seemed to do about the same. <laughs> They're all doing great. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, we were burnt out. Mm-hmm. And I think with, with 2020 hindsight, what we should have done at that point was maybe take a hiatus mm-hmm. and recharge our batteries a little bit. But instead, some people who will remain nameless mm. um, decided that it would be best if we made a faster, cheaper record. Okay. And uh, as in most things, you get what you pay for. Yeah. Uh, most of the songs on the great Lost Cars record, Door to Door, were songs that had been around since the first album. They were they were all like the rejects from all the different records. Mm-hmm. Leave or Stay and Tata Weo Weo. Leave or Stay, we used to play at the Rat, Tata Weo Weo, and all those songs we used to play before we ever got a record deal. And... I don't know what to say about it. It's just, you know, you make decisions. You don't know how things are going to turn out. But I think uh, there wasn't, like other years, like a fresh new batch of songs. Yeah. I think there was some burnout going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, we thought, you know, we, we just got to make this record. And um, and there was that's when I think the, the rot started creeping in. Yeah. And it, uh, I mean, I'm not speaking. Like Ben started going home to Boston and just coming in. We made that record at Electric Lady Studios uh-huh. in Greenwich Village in New York. And, uh, you know, if Ben wasn't working, he went back home. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know. And there's no, there's no, there's no sixth member of the cars on this because Rick is, is producing it. Uh, so you don't have like that mutt or that. Uh, yeah, kind of. Roy Thomas right. Baker influence. It wasn't that, that, that. Um, I think sometimes impartial. you might, you might need that guy. Yeah. Clearly we needed that yeah. guy, you know. Because um, when we were putting our song list together, even Christy said she goes, "You can pick what you want from door to door because I can't pick anything." Yeah, you feel what? the you feel the same as Elliot feels. Well, Don't that's uh, it's fine. It's okay. He's fine. He's he. I'm he, not precious about this. No, he. I could tell <laughs> he he opened up the door. So I did love. I probably Tata. haven't heard door to door since 1988. Right. Anyway, I did like the lever, the demos of Tata Weo Weo and Lever Stay. I Love. And those were recorded in like 77. Yeah, yeah, I love those. When they were new songs. And I do like Strap Me In. I don't know. It has, yeah, that, yes. it has that really guitar in it. I just, I like it. But, but yeah. Have, it's, you Are the Girl, was that on there? You yes. Are the Girls on there. That's a good song. Yeah. It is. That video. That's a funny video. It yeah, is funny. And it's video. like, boy, you guys got away with some racy stuff in that video. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys YouTube it because there's some like not so like overt sexual innuendo with right. the one ship that boards the other ship and the uh, one subtle, alien who has the yeah, train yeah, yeah. going into a tunnel. Yes. Yeah. Just it's, um, yeah, it's fun, but it's when Elliot crazy. leaves, are you going to yell at me for saying the door to door thing? You, you know it. Okay. So <laughs> yell at him now. I want to yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we only have Elliot for a short time and I want to get, oh I want to get to, uh, we want to talk, uh, we, we, he has a new project, the yes, empty, yes, yes, the yes, empty yes. hearts that we're not going to forget about, but we do want to talk about your solo album, uh, oh. which, uh, Christy turned me on to cause I, I hadn't heard it. And until like a year ago, she's like, you've never heard Elliot Easton's solo album. And I'm like, 
Well, I just know. Change, no change. And I think the reason is um, because since you never sang lead for the cars, I just thought, well, I mean, he might be one of those guitarists that doesn't, can't really sing. Maybe. Thanks, man. But, but. But you were right. But no, no, it's great. It's got got great songs on it. Really suited. Well, it had had good songs. I mean, they were written with a really fine songwriter. Yeah. You know, who's one of the greats. You know, he, if people don't know, he wrote All Through the Night that Cindy mm-hmm. Lauper recorded. Yes. He recorded If She Knew What She Wants, that the Bangles, the bangles. recorded. Mm-hmm. And I recorded those demos with him. Mm-hmm. I remember those songs when they were around. Um, so I had a great collaborator. And we just were writing. He was my friend. And we were just writing songs for the sheer fun of it. It wasn't for an Elliot Easton solo record. Mm-hmm. I thought it might be for the next Jules record. I didn't know what we were. We were just writing. He'd yeah. come over my house. When I lived in Boston with an acoustic guitar, and I'd show him some snippets of ideas that I had, and he'd go, let's work on that one. And before we knew it, we had a batch of songs, and, and I said, well, who's going to sing it? He goes, why not you? I said, me? And, 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 and that was the genesis of, I, I didn't have it in mind to do a solo right. record. We were just writing songs for the joy of it. And it was released through Electra, is that because... They they had first look as you in yeah, the cars. Yeah, I was signed to Electra, and, and uh, but they were fine with it when you said, "Hey, I got a solo album." Did they go, "Oh yeah, sure, Elliot"? Or did you have to fight a little bit to get it? Um, well, I didn't have to fight. I mean, maybe maybe our manager did. Yeah, you know, at that level, I wouldn't think you would have to. Yeah, I wasn't on the street. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they were fighting about. It was just like you know, get it done. All right. Let's so, play. what do you want to hear from? Uh, uh, well, I want to hear both of the songs. But um, this is wearing down like a wheel. This was the single, and there was a video for it as well. Oh, yeah, with the birds and the clock tower. Which I wanted to ask about that. It goes into the solo here. Like a mic drop, right? Yeah, there. <laughs> just throw it down and walk off the stage. Yeah, did um, that's funny. Were you intentionally because it doesn't it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like the cars per se? Mm. You know, were you intentionally trying to sound a little bit different, or was it just whatever it was? It wasn't happening? intentional. It was mm-hmm. just um, you know, it, it probably sounded like one fifth of the cars. It sounded like, <laughs> right. You know, like, of course. Like, if 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 you know my playing, yeah, then you'd hear threads of of that in the cars. Mm-hmm. You know. I can only be me. Right, exactly. And the albums change, no change. Yes. And I, I want to play one more quick song. Yeah, no, no, please, please. Um, this is a ballad, and I think it's oh, so beautiful. Wait. Yes, I just, it, it works on... It's, it's a nice song. It is, it is. I always would love to hear like a really great singer sing this, but... One more you try to speak, and you find he is a 
beautiful. It's it is just, beautiful. I mean, wasting a dream. Wide awake, wasting a dream. It's just poetic and that it all works yeah. together and with the solo it's just beautiful and was it was it weird having a, an album cover shoot with uh just you without the other guys around you well it was just like doing a photo shoot mm-hmm. you know i love the cover it's yeah, just so it's simple a really, it's a great i like great i like i don't even did they call it fonts back then i don't know what did they call it it was just art direction Types the, that it was originally <laughs> going to be the reason it was change no change i had a picture of me at about three years old with, with my cowboy hat and my Mickey Mouse guitar. Oh, yeah. I have that picture, and it's in this book, I think. Yeah. Or it's in one of the... And that was going to be the cover, and then, then me now was going to be the back cover. It's those two you look like a pi- the- You look like a pinup. Doesn't he look like yeah, a, this would be on a girl... Hang, girls would be hanging that up in the room. I mean, the hair is rocking. The whole thing is great. <laughs> Actually, that picture is in that magazine. Pat, we can post it the, in the magazine. We can post it on the website. The picture of him. The with picture the, of him with the. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The I'll find picture. it. Yeah, I'll find it later. We can post it. <laughs> so um, I'm supposed to be the change, no change. Like I'm still the same, you know. <laughs> it was a baby picture of me with, with the, a guitar. I had that look in my eyes, even though I was little. Determination. And then we took a picture in the back of me with an acoustic guitar, similar. Yeah. But it ended up not going with that concept. <laughs> well, before we get to uh, The Empty Hearts, which is your new band, yes. I, w- I, just, I have some questions about the new cars. Because w- when, when the new cars came out, I was totally excited. Uh, but I was wondering how that came together. Because to get Todd Rundgren, who's an established artist in his own right, mm-hmm. to come in and sing all, this, all these songs that someone else wrote and interpret them. Yes. How, how how did this happen? I don't even. It's it's the weirdest thing to me. Well, it should it wouldn't be if you think about the fact that Todd has somewhat of a history of singing other people's material. Mm-hmm. He does that walk down Abbey Road thing, and he's played on several Ringo tours, mm-hmm. and he did an album of covers, Faithful. Well, that's true. You know, he he, he he he. It's not without precedent. But who that, rings him up and says, "Hey, Todd, you want to sing the Cars catalog?" Well, you, William Morris did. <laughs> oh, William Morris did. <laughs> yeah, I thought the maybe agents. you were you were Greg knew him from some something. We did. Okay. We did, but uh, but um, we had we had someone else contact him. Okay. And basically, we wanted we wanted all the original guys to do it. We you were want, looking for a reunion. We, we we wanted you know Greg and I wanted to play that music. Yeah. Again. And people wanted to hear that music yeah, again. Yeah, and we didn't want to call it the new cars. We just wanted to call it the cars. And um, but David and Rick were not into it. Mm-hmm. And but we still wanted to do it. So what do you do? You have to get some other people to play yeah. with. And um, Todd seemed like a great idea mm-hmm. because he's he's so versatile and he's so talented and such a great front person. Yeah, I mean he. You know, he really, really brings his A game when he gets on that stage. Yes, it, was it was a great show. It was a great show. It was a really great show. Oh, you saw it. Yeah. It, oh, I did too. What's the I saw it twice. Universal Amphitheater called now. Gibson Amphitheater. Gibson Amphitheater. I saw yes. it. I saw it when you guys were the Bondi at Universal, but I also saw you at the Canyon Canyon Club also. Oh yeah. Oh, you were at that. I was at both of those. Oh nice. And um, yeah, uh, yeah you guys were really. You guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I dare. I mean, I dare not say this, but say it. I have. I've got. No okay, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say. I, I saw I saw say. I saw a move like this at the Palladium and the new cars played with more exuberance and more excitement I thought yes. than the reunited cars did. Well, if if I could be so bold, I think it was a mistake to not it, the feeling in the band when Ben passed mm-hmm. and then we we th- that move like this project mm-hmm. came up was like well, we can never replace Ben so we won't even try. Okay. And I really felt like 
on stage we should have had a bass player. Yeah. It didn't have to be in the spotlight. No, he could but, be but, back. But it just it just it just put the weight on Greg where now he's worrying about all his keyboard parts and now there's bass to worry about mm-hmm. and if he put on a bass then he couldn't play keyboards yeah. and com- more computers needed and I just thought it would just have been easier to just like get Chasm or somebody to yeah. play bass and because Chasm is an amazing bass yeah, player and he also sings you know in new cars he sang drive, drive yeah he did a killer job yep. with it but um and um that wasn't going to happen n- nothing it, to do with the new cars was going to get past you know do Rick and David have to sign off on you guys just calling it the new cars well yeah and that was a big hassle too and that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that you know we stopped doing it is you know that we couldn't call it the cars and. Mm-hmm. There were licensing issues with the name yeah. and all that stuff, and it just, you know, they just really didn't want us do it to do it. Yeah, uh, I didn't fully understand why because they didn't want to do it. It's like I don't want to do it, but I don't want you to do it. Right. So well, what, it was a really fun show, and people were enjoying that? it. But that little word "new" hurt us. You know, I mean, yeah. when Foreigner go out and it's just Mick Jones, they it's don't still say Foreigner. It's just Foreigner. Yeah. When Pink Floyd go out and there's no Roger Waters there, it's Pink Floyd. Yeah. And we had to call it the new cars, and people were confused by that. They were, what's the new cars? Is this a new band, or who's in it? What's it about? You know, uh, you know how, how important that brand is. Yeah, you know, exactly. Putting that extra word in there didn't help matters. And then I was in a bus accident uh, halfway through that tour where uh, I broke my collarbone bus stop short and uh oh gosh. and that put an end yeah got a little titanium oh man screws now in my clavicle uh no biggie but you're bionic now i'm yeah. bionic yeah <laughs> i'm bionic i'm the 600 man <laughs> <laughs> let's hear you, you guys did record three new tracks and then you put them together with uh with a, a live set and you released uh that together as the new cars so yeah can we hear a little bit of uh not tonight. I do like this song a lot. I got Greg's autograph at the Canyon Club after the show, and I asked him, I said, are you guys going to record s- some more new music? And he l- was so nervous, but he's like, he's like, I sure hope so. Because <laughs> we liked that band. We had a good time. You guys looked like you were having a blast. I was happy yeah. to see you guys getting to... And my friend's like, who are we going to see? And I said, the new cars. He goes, what is that? And I told him, yeah, see, he's like, what, why are they doing that? And I said, well, why shouldn't those two guys get to play the music that they recorded and created. Why, why should they not be allowed to go out and you know make some money and have some fun? And, yeah. and for the fans, too. Like we, yeah, we want to hear that yes. music live. And we're musicians. We like yeah. to play. I mean, people just don't get that sometimes. They think, I know. Oh, oh, you know, why does he do that? You know, they, they think we all live in like huge castles on top of mountains. Uh, th- that's what everyone thinks. Everyone thinks that everyone is, uh, that's, uh, you know, is a I like billionaire. I like to work. Yeah. You know, and, 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 the, and that music is my recorded legacy. Yes. And I wanted to play it. And the joy in people's faces mm-hmm. when, you know, you'd play that solo in Best Friends Girl and they'd 
elbow each other. He's doing it. He's doing it. There he is. That's him. playing the solo. And some of them would almost have tears in their eyes and stuff. And it just meant the world to me. I mean, it was just so satisfying and fun to do. And But on a business level, it was just made too difficult for us to continue, to be honest. But then eventually, go ahead. I'm sorry, Christy. Well, with the car show at the Palladium that Mm -hmm. you were speaking of, I remember you... There was, I can't remember which solo, or maybe it was multiple ones, where after you were done soloing, like, there was an applause yep. just for the solo, like, just and then the, the rest of the song played, and we were enjoying that, too, mm-hmm. but people were really, and, and uh, you know, anyway, Heartbeat City That's was special. so killer at yeah, that live special. show, and it was funny, because I saw a fight break out, and I'm like, now I'm at a rock show. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if a fight is breaking out, uh, it's, a, it's a rock show. Probably an Ocasek fan versus... Uh... <laughs> And there's some there's some amazing amazing tunes on Move Like This. We love Move Like This. Yeah, we like it a lot. I, I why was there? Go ahead. You want to play oh, a song? Yes, I want to play Blue Tip. Let's play Blue, Blue Tip. I remember when those, uh, I, I think maybe, I don't know who was posting, but when the Facebook pictures popped up of you guys like in the studio, wherever I saw those, I think they were on Facebook and I was oh just gosh, like, she was so excited. I know it was like, what are you, <laughs> are you kidding? Is that really happening? Yeah. Could this be? Yeah. And it was for a brief time. For a brief time. How many shows? You guys only did about 12 That's shows? Right. We did 12 shows. And was, was there supposed to maybe be more or was it just? Well, some of us would have liked there to be more. Okay. Okay. Rick does not like to tour. I no, assume. he doesn't. Okay. How do, how do we make it? How do Christy and I and yes. Kyle, how do we make it easier for Rick to get him out there on the road with you guys? Boy, <laughs> if, if you could think of something, let me know. We really do need that Star Trek technology to yeah. get Rick. And here's something else that you can tell us how we can. Uh, you guys need to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, yes. That is, that's. It's ridic at yes, this point. It's crazy. So we just want to know what we can do at our <laughs> level that we can. Is there a campaign we need there, to start? There, there is. There, on Facebook, there's a. Uh, is it on Facebook? There, there's a um, a couple of different pages mm-hmm. of, of, of voting, for, uh, uh, like um, you know, to nominate the cars. Yes, the cars, yeah. Uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like that page, and maybe people will see that. Petitions, and it'll help. Petitions. And like that. Yeah. The last one was between. They had another one that was. They pitted us against Dire Straits, and, and the cars won. And there's a lot of people talking yeah, about we, it. Like, it's why just, aren't we in? We don't want it to be a competition a between Dire Straits and in. the cars. Cheap trick aren't in. Cheap yes. trick aren't in. That's crazy there's too. A lot of bands that sh- that I, I think should be in there, um, but. Uh, for whatever reason, well, yeah. do you think? Do you do? Do you even think about it? It would be great, but do you? You don't think about well, I th- it. Do I, you? Only because people mention it to me right. a lot, but it's not like uh, you don't wake up and go, "Damn, you rock and roll Hall of Fame!" No, no, no. I didn't get into this to win trophies, right? Of course not. But you guys, the songs, the influence, you know, and not just on the music, but I think with it's the a videos. Pe- peculiar. <laughs> we help change music. Yes. Yeah, in my humble opinion. Absolutely. You know, from the, the grandiosity of Prague combined with disco, we were losing our rock and roll. Right. And I think, you know, the, the, that fresh do-it-yourself energy of punk rock combined with, you know, pop roots and, and stuff, you know, brought 
some of the fun and the excitement yeah. back into into that genre. And I think we were one of the bands that were at the forefront of that. And um, but I mean, I the, you know these the way these I don't even know who makes these decisions. Really, yeah. it's well, so we're gonna find yeah. out. It's we're po- gonna find out. We're gonna political. get to the bottom of this. Go for it. <laughs> and is there before we put it before we put the, the, the cars chapter to bed and move on to the empty hearts? And uh, is, is there ever any talk that there'll be another record or anything about the cars? About the cars. Well, there isn't any talk, and there isn't not any talk. talk right? Just, it's just, just maybe it'll happen. Exactly. Okay. I mean, we we've never said we're never going to work together right. again, but there's nothing scheduled or mm-hmm. anything like that on the books. You know. But, what 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 would a what would a Todd Rundgren produced Cars album sound ooh. like? <sighs> like this. Ow. <laughs> That's Rick and Todd yeah. fighting. And, okay. and here's a question: You know how they got Wolfgang Van ha- Wolfgang Van Halen to play with Van Halen? Yes. You have a daughter. I don't know how old she is. Is she a she musician in any way? Oh, I wouldn't wish that on my poor little daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't drag her into that. All right. All no, right. She's got her own band. Okay. Oh, so she is musical. She played the Roxy at 18 years old. What? And she's 19 now, and she sings. Amazingly, that's fantastic. Does she, does she play an incredible. instrument too, or just the singer? She plays keyboards and sings, and they're they're called. I'll give them a little plug. They're called, yeah, please. They're called Dot Connect. And dot Connect. Dot Connect. And they're like a punky, proggy kind of thing with time signatures and stuff. And but she, she was always uh, in like she she was like the director of her acapella group in high school, which which like in in a in a in a in an acapella festival beat out mm-hmm. USC and UCLA and all these colleges. I mean, they're really good. Calabas is high, and uh, she was always in choir and uh-huh. stuff like that. And she sings great. Do they have any music on she iTunes? Gets it from my mom. My Do mom they have any it. anything on iTunes that we the f- listeners could go buy or listen to or seek out? No, they're they're recording an EP now. All right, cool. Using that is very my, cool. Half my equipment, um, <laughs> 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 but they're they're nice nice. Nice people and uh, ta- very talented. Do they ask your opinion or is she like, nah, Dad, nah, this is my thing? They don't <laughs> ask my opinion. Do you, okay. do, you, do you give it? No. Okay, good. No. Well, that's good. That's very yeah. nice. They don't record it at my house or anything like that. I mean, I haven't heard much. Right. You don't get down and knock on the, hey, what's going on, on in Facebook, here? On Facebook, somebody posted her, her doing a vocal overdub. We'll look for it. After the Zovro show. Okay, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so it is 2014. Yes. Uh, Elliot Easton, he, he's gotten together with a couple cars, a uh, couple cars, God damn it. Uh, a couple guys that you might have heard of. We got Clem Burke from Blondie. Yes. Got Wally Palmer from The Romantics. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to say Andy's. Andy Babuk. I didn't know how to say his last name. He's from the Chesterfield Kings. And he also wrote the Beatles gear book and the Stones yes, gear Yes, yes, yes. He's written quite a few books. books. Yeah, yeah. And Ian McLaughlin is on a couple tracks from The Faces. He's on keyboards. Yeah, Max playing keyboards. And the name of the band, The Empty Hearts, uh, I know where it comes from. Tell yeah. people where that comes well, from. Well, it came from um, Stephen Van Zandt. Yeah. Um, who Andy goes way back with. He's on Wicked Cool Records, uh, Stephen's label. And, uh, you know, the Chesterfield Kings was sort of like that kind of a garage rock band. Mm-hmm. Um and Andy, over the years, has developed a friendship with Stephen. The, the Chesterfield Kings actually appear in an episode of The Sopranos. <laughs> and um, Andy uh, consulted on the movie Not Fade Away with David Ch- for David oh, Chase. Wow. And mm. so there, there's, you know, there's some history there now. And apparently, Steve is one of those guys that likes to come up with band names. We've all, <laughs> we've all met people like that. And he, he had a list of like what he, you know, he, 
Here's some cool band names. Choose one of these. And um, so for the fun of it, you know. You chose one. Yeah. <laughs> gave us something to talk about today. And uh, we chose the Empty Hearts. And um, yeah, I, I like the name. Yeah, I like the name too. And how did this project come about? Who, who spearheaded this? Who gets... Uh... Andy did. Andy gets gets credit for that. Okay. Uh, it, it all started with a phone call. He called me and said, what do you think about doing a band with Clem and with Wally? And, and of course... Andy lives in Rochester, New York. Okay. Wally lives in Detroit. <laughs> Clem lives right He's in out here, yeah. City. And, uh, and I'm in West Valley. But um, so two of us were in California and two of us were spread further out. Right. And I, and, I, and I said, since I thought it would never happen, I said, sure. <laughs> Why not? Well, you know, if you can get it together, uh, it sounds like a lot of fun. And Andy is a super hardworking guy, and he gets the job done. I mean, he just makes stuff happen. Yeah, I, it's fun to have friends like that. Yeah. They call you and say, do you want Andy's to do this? Cool and then they make way, it happen. Yep. Andy's just cool that way. I mean, and uh, he, he made it happen. Everybody liked the idea. And uh, they, 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 they took the initiative to come out here, and we rented a rehearsal place in Woodland Hills, mm-hmm. and hacked around with some songs and did some writing together and fleshed out some of each other's ideas. And then they went away and worked on some lyrics. Then they came back. We wrote some more. And um, we all went to Rochester, to Andy's place, uh, for a week. He's, he has a studio from the Chesterfield Kings. Mm-hmm. And so it wouldn't cost us a lot to record the record. And um, Ed, Ed Stasium produced it, who did the Ramones. Ramones yeah. All the Ramones stuff and other other cool stuff. Yeah, sure. And, um, and he became like a fifth member of the band. He was a great asset to have someone looking out on the other side of the glass, making sure all the sounds were good. And, and, uh, and he's just a great guy. We were just, it was one of those pleasurable labor of love type projects where you just laugh in the whole yep. time. And this is a rock and roll record. No drama. <laughs> right. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Shared well, writing credits. Everything shared evenly. Yep. Nice. No BS, you know, no hurt feelings or any of that crap just let's have some fun let's have some fun man you know well, let's hear some of it yes. let's hear let's hear the, the the opening track 90 miles an hour down a dead end street And this album comes out on August fifth. Yes. So this show is gonna is gonna drop on July thirty first, which is the Thursday before that album comes out. So when it comes out, folks, go to iTunes. You can pre order it right now on Amazon. Yeah. You can Amazon uh, or iTunes. And you can go to at the Empty Hearts on Twitter. You can go to theemptyhearts.com. dot com. Empty Hearts uh, Facebook page. Empty like Hearts us be- there and find out information. Are you guys gonna play out live? Oh, that's that's. Basically, the whole point. The whole point is to play. Yeah, great. We can't. We just can't wait to play out loud. You got to work around Clem's Blondie schedule. Finishing up with the Blondie stuff, and uh, Wally has a few romantics gigs in them. It looks like we could probably go out in October. 
That's great. Right Christy and I, birthday. we We're will there. be there. We're there. Oh, um, you get the red carpet treatment. Well, thank oh. you so much. I want to. I want to. I want to thank a couple people, and then I want to. Let's. Well, let's do this first. Play. Uh, uh, don't want your love because I, I love uh, when Wally calls out for yes. Elliot to play his solo. <laughs> so, and that's cute. Up. Let's hear. That. I wrote this track. Okay, Not fantastic. The lyrics, but the music, the Beatleness of it. I know. To me, it's very White Album inspired. Yeah, that does sound like a lot like the White Album. That's where I was coming from. Well, you did it. But if I didn't say that, it might never, you know. Right, just well, John just like those, all those other things that, you, oh. that you've pointed out throughout the show that I'm like, oh, I, I'm not a musician. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's not even that. It's just right. so personal. That it, everybody, yeah, you wouldn't know it. E- even my perception is just one more perception. You know right. what I mean? It could be what you think it's coming from would be just as valid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have uh, I have I have six copies. Well, I have five copies because I'm keeping one. But I have uh, five copies of these. I have four <laughs> copies because Christie's going to three copies. So uh, hopefully, Elliot's going to sign these for us, and then we'll give them away uh, through our Twitter site. Oh sure. Uh, I want to thank uh, thanks to Jonathan Wolfson who manages the Empty Hearts. Yes. Thanks to Dylan Barbosa who. Um, connected all the dots between Jonathan Wolfson Company and me and Christy. Uh, thanks to Teddy Andreas and Lisa Goich, who originally reached out to Elliot, and I, I couldn't make that work, but they were trying hard. Were we me. trying to do this back with the Tiki Gods? We're trying to do it a lot, yeah, a while ago. Yeah, but uh, hey, worth the wait. You know what? I never got the message. Those bastards. For, I'm not the thanking them now. No, no. no. no not, not Teddy or Lisa, but the, the guys that were contacting the team. That's okay. They probably, they, they're like, no, nah, we don't know this guy. So me and me. Um, and no, I that want, wasn't it. And I want, I want to thank uh, Keith, uh, Keith uh, I can, can't even say his name, Kurt Nishimura at the, at the record label, 429, 429 Records. I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. I'm so That's sorry, okay. Kurt. And Steve Vining. And- Steve Vining. Look, we're getting another thank you. So those guys from 429 Records sent, uh, sent the CDs to us. And... Uh, Elliot Easton, Christy, is this what you hoped it would I, be? I I just want to tell you that um, as a kid and a teenager, I I'm sorry, <laughs> I always felt like such an outsider. She's and I know she um, is. when I found your music Aww. and the music of the Cars, it um, it really oh, gave so me tremendous Man. joy. <laughs> so um, I can't believe I'm being such a dork oh, about this, no. but um, thank you. Sweet. For your music, and thank you for being here today, and yeah, thank you too, Pat. <laughs> oh. Well, thank, and thank uh, you, thank you for supporting our efforts for all these years. Oh. And, you know, without people like you, we couldn't have done it. Well, there would have been no reason to. Well, thank you so thank much, you. Elliot. We really appreciate you coming in here and staying a little bit longer than ninety <laughs> minutes. Okay, everybody. Uh, thank, Jill. thank you, Joe. His wife's yes, here. Thank I, you, there's Jill. no air conditioning on because it messes with the sound. But uh, now we're going to both be teary-eyed in, yeah. in the picture. Oh, uh, thank you so much, Elliot. Sorry. And if you could play Don't out, let's play out "Soul Deep." Will be our playout song from oh, the Empty Hearts. Go buy this album, people. It's really worth the wait. And come see us. Yes. <laughs> 